0: Our second lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The Word of God for the people of God. If I'm being honest with you all, I would have to admit that when it comes to accessing my emotions, I could use some practice. It's not that I'm not an empathetic person, I am a pastor, but I do have a way of shutting down my emotional side. I've even had a dear friend once tell me in the middle of her own emotional crisis that my presence helped her because I was cold, but in a good way. I don't love that cold, even in a good way, was the first descriptor that came to her mind, but I get it. I am pretty good at putting on a straight face and keeping my cool. At times, it's been something I've been proud of. It makes me level-headed under pressure or in a crisis. But lately, I've been thinking that my tendency to push down and bottle up my emotions could be doing me and those around me a disservice. The truth is, I'm immensely uncomfortable when it comes to feeling big emotions of my own, especially hurt and pain. I think if we're honest with ourselves, a good majority of us would prefer to hide or ignore the hurt we feel. We might think that hurt shows weakness. Admitting hurt might show that we're ungrateful or show that we've failed in some capacity. Hurt is something we don't have time for. Hurt is uncomfortable. Hurt hurts. I can think of two very distinct times in my life when my hurt became so big that it was impossible to hide it or ignore it, even though I sure did try. The first was in my late 20s when I went through a divorce. The second time was not too long ago when my current husband and I struggled with infertility and several failed attempts to conceive using IVF. If you had asked me in those dark moments, where does it hurt? An honest answer would have been everywhere. The hurt was all-consuming. But instead of being honest about that, when people asked how I was doing, I'm fine. Most people probably didn't even know what was going on, because if I could, I hid it. And if they did know what was going on, it was still really hard for me to be honest about how I was feeling. I couldn't be truthful with others, because I didn't even give myself space to acknowledge the true scope of my own hurt and despair. I missed opportunities for connection. Instead of hiding my pain, I could have been honest. How am I doing? I'm really hurting right now, but I'm scared to share that hurt with you because I feel guilty about how it's going to make you feel. I'm in constant fear of being judged or even pitied for my circumstance. I'm really concerned that if I'm honest with you, you'll give me unsolicited advice or empty attempts at optimism. I'd really like to cry, but I know it's gonna cause a huge scene, so I probably won't. I'd love for you to fix this for me, but I know you can't. I'm not sure I have the strength to do the next right thing, if I even know what that is. I'm just sad. Actually, you know what? I'm sad and I'm mad and I'm overwhelmed and I'm lonely. I'm hurting. That would have been an honest answer. The problem is we're not usually honest about hurt. Instead, we try to ignore it or numb it or pretend that keeping it to ourselves is for the best. And that becomes a bigger problem because when we hide or ignore our own pain, big or small, it limits our capacity to perceive and accept the pain of others. We think that putting on a brave face and powering through is the right or proper way to handle pain. We're happy to tell people that we're fine, and we love to hear that they're doing the same. But what if we shifted our mindset? What if we became more cognizant of the fact that pain is a connection point where we are missing opportunities to connect when we try to make everything okay? In our biblical narratives today, we find stories of pain exacerbated by missed opportunities for connection. First, we have Jairus, a leader in the synagogue. Jairus has been consumed in an unexpected and overwhelming crisis. His young daughter is near death. In a desperate attempt to save her, Jairus seeks out Jesus in a huge crowd throws himself at Jesus' feet, and begs him repeatedly to go with him and to lay his hands on his daughter so that she would be healed. Jesus agrees to go, and they begin what I imagine is a very slow walk to Jairus' house. You have to remember that the crowd is pressing in on them and making this journey a a crawl at best. I can only imagine the urgency that Jairus must have felt. On top of that, Jesus even stops at some point to address someone else. He speaks to her so long that while Jesus is still speaking with her, Jairus receives the news that his daughter has died. I can only imagine that level of hurt. He has done everything he can think of to save his daughter, and just when he thinks he has the solution he needs, when Jesus is on the way to help, momentum slows, and it turns out they are too late. Fear and grief rush in. And in the midst of that terrible moment, the people who have come from his house to deliver the news say to him, Why bother the teacher any further? Why bother? Jairus has sought the help of Jesus, and instead of hearing and supporting Jairus, the people closest to him are asking him why he would continue to seek help. Instead of walking with Jairus in his grief, they ask, what's the point? Why bother? It's over. Let it go. Meanwhile, the reason Jesus stops on his way to Jairus' house is because he encounters someone else experiencing pain and hurt. But unlike Jairus, this woman is not experiencing an unexpected trauma. She's been dealing with her hurt for years, 12 years to be exact. She's been suffering from continuous bleeding, a condition that would have isolated her from her community due to what have, would have been considered a ritual impurity. Not only has she missed connections with others because she's been isolated and restricted, she has spent all the money she's had and all the emotional energy she can muster to try to cure her mystery illness. She's gotten no better, only worse. Her pain has reached a boiling point. I wonder how many physicians and how many people in her life wrote off her pain as incurable, I wonder how many people gave up on her in her struggle over 12 years. Who dismissed her suffering as part of her everyday life now, something that can't be helped? What provoked her to push and shove her way through the crowds for that small opportunity to merely touch the clothes of Jesus, her last ditch effort to help herself when no one else could? Like the woman in the crowd, Hannah, in our Old Testament story, struggled for years, too. She suffered with infertility and all of the complex emotions that accompany that struggle. Why was this happening to her? What was her worth if she couldn't have children? Why was the one thing she had always wanted just out of reach? On top of this, those in her family unit... The people who should have been there to support her, to connect with her, treated her as less than because of her struggles. Not only did she watch her husband's other wife have child after child, she saw Panina happily accept preferential treatment and then turn around and taunt her for her childlessness. These stories not only illustrate example of, examples of people hurting. They illustrate ways that we question and diminish the hurt of others. Move on. It's over. Why bother? Why try? The most jarring question for me, though, as I read these stories, is the question that Elkanah asks Hannah. He says to her, Why are you so sad? Aren't I worth more to you than ten sons? It reads harshly. And even if it was asked out of frustration, I imagine that this question did come from a place of care and concern. I believe that Elkanah loved and cared for his wife. I believe that it caused him pain to see her hurting so visibly. Couldn't his love be enough? It's an honest response. It's a question that we end up asking ourselves in times of loss and grief. Can I be happy with what I have? What about the good years we shared? Shouldn't I just be thankful? Don't I have enough? And Here's the thing. You do have enough. You as a person are always more than enough. But your story, including your pain and your hurt, is all part of the whole you. And it's okay to say, no, your love is not enough to take away my hurt in this moment. What I have to be thankful for does not negate my grief for what I have lost. Hannah feels this. She goes to the temple consumed by grief. She cannot stop crying. Look at me, she cries to God. See me. This is me and this, this is my pain. It's in this moment that Hannah finds her healing. She finds her healing when she is true to herself and true to her emotions. She lays it all out in front of God, and even when her response to hurt is questioned one last time by Eli, she is honest. She owns that she is a sad woman who is pouring her heart out to the Lord. Eli sees her, is present for her, and wishes her peace as she goes. Addressing our hurt does not mean that we aren't also loved and thankful and grateful to. It's about naming another piece of us that is just as true as those things. Addressing our hurt is a basic need. One of the connections between our Old Testament passage and our New Testament passage that I found really interesting is a reference to eating— Previously, Hannah had been too grieved to eat. But leaving the temple, the scripture specifically states that she got something to eat and felt better. When Jesus heals Jairus' daughter, the passage closes with Jesus telling them to get her something to eat. Eating could arguably be one of the most basic needs that we have. Yet in these stories addressing hurt, Comes first. It comes even before the need and ability to eat. Even in the unnamed woman's story, I imagine the validation that Jesus gave to her pain and how she was restored to eat with her community. Addressing hurt is a basic need. Addressing our own hurt is a process we are inspired and called to do by our scriptures. And this is where God comes in. When others brush aside our pain or try to expose a silver lining on our grief, God steps in and says, I see you. When we choose to turn a blind eye to our emotions and to the struggles that other people face, Jesus disrupts our comfort zones and says, I am in this with you. You are not alone. God connects us to one another and reminds us that suffering is universal, and addressing our hurt is a basic need that connects us with others and makes us stronger. When we think about ways to address our hurt, we have to set aside the idea that there is a right or proper way to feel. We have to set aside the idea that my hurt is too different from your hurt It's true, we all have different stories to tell and different journeys. But our shared experience of hurt is not something that should drive us apart or silo us. Empathy for one another builds connection. So where do we start? First, we name our hurt. We stop trying to hide it and we name our hurt and how it makes us feel. Jairus was desperate. The woman's pain overwhelmed her on a daily basis. Hannah's pain made her feel worthless. Naming our hurt helps us embrace it. Embracing it helps us move forward in it. Jairus asked for help. The woman took charge and took a leap of faith. Hannah cried. Finally, after naming and embracing our hurt, we share it. We share it with God and we share it with others. When we share our pain and our hurt, we are acknowledging that we are not alone. We are seen and known by God. We are connected to those around us who care about us, who have also suffered in their own way. In all of this, God is present and God seeks to connect us and connect us to each other. The resolution in our stories is not in the physical healing. The resolution in our stories is in the restoration of value and connection. When we diminish the pain within ourselves and the pain of others, we miss opportunities for connection. When we focus on questions like, why bother? Why try? Don't I have enough? God disrupts our ways of thinking and connects us again. When I'm scared about how my feelings will make you feel, you say, I hear you. When I'm scared of being judged or pitied, you say, I've been there. When I'm scared you won't understand and will try to fill the silence, you say, I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm glad you told me. When I want to cry, you say, we all cry. When there is no fix, you say, I'm here. God says, I hear you. I've been there. I'm glad you told me. Your tears are valid. I'm here. And that's good news. Amen.